0: Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. The podcast all about the good, the bad and the ugly of British policing. If you're interested in how policing works and you want to hear some incredible people talking about what they did in their policing careers, then this is definitely the podcast for you. Sometimes we cover some pretty gory or distressing subjects and there may be a bit of swearing from time to time so probably best to keep the kids out of earshot. Right, here we go. Hello folks, Ian here. Welcome to episode 78 of the Tango Juliet Photoshop podcast. So uh, the episode this week is a little bit late. Uh, I don't know why I said this week because I had said a few weeks ago that I wasn't going to do them every week and I, I've been trying to do them sort of maybe every 10 days or so. I was going to have one earlier on this week uh, where I was going to be interviewing the police and crime commissioner for Lancashire, uh, Andrew Snowden, which was um, unfortunately had to be postponed until I think it's next week uh, or the week after uh, because of the Nicola Bully case and uh, completely understandable. Um, That that interview had been in the diary for some months actually and it was quite uh, weird a weird coincidence that all of this stuff with Nicola Bully had been going on uh, in the run-up to when that interview was scheduled and uh, I did wonder if it was going to go ahead or not and sure enough uh, the day before uh, his PA um, postponed it, which is entirely understandable given all of the controversy and uh, all the issues around that case. So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to discuss the fallout from the Nicola Bully case. i just give you my thoughts about what I think this says about uh, policing at the moment and particularly around the relationship between policing and both the media and uh, social media. Um, so I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about uh, the media stuff, uh, social media, and then finally, I'm going to wrap it up with some sort of general thoughts around why. So the, the thing that I've been really sort of churning over in my mind a little bit is why what is it about this particular case that has aroused so much media and public interest I just need to caveat uh, that by saying um, I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve media and public interest because clearly the mysterious disappearance of a uh, mother of two uh, for a long period of time before, uh, sadly, her body was recovered from the river. Uh, is a tragedy, a tragedy for the family, and um, a great source of, you know, national outpouring. So, but there is there is something there is something that has gone on in the last few weeks, which I think says something about contemporary um, society and in particular about the relationship between society and the police. So, um, if we talk about uh, the media, first of all, I think it's fair to say that this investigation came on the back of at least two, three years of consistently negative reporting of policing for all the reasons that we've talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, Predominantly those issues have affected the Metropolitan Police but the fallout from all of those issues has impacted on every single police officer in the United Kingdom. It's also had a massive impact uh, in terms of public trust and confidence in policing And uh, police officers, understandably now, all over the country, but particularly in London, are now feeling thoroughly uh, unloved and distrustful of the media. Um, And I suspect that many members of the media probably feel very similar uh, way towards policing. But this case really um, brought that relationship, I think, pretty much to breaking point. Um, So, just to recap, uh, for anybody who's listening to this uh, in another part of the world, or maybe you might stumble across this podcast in I don't know 10 years time and you've got absolutely no idea what I'm talking about just very briefly I'll just summarize a syn- you know a synopsis of of what happened so basically um back in the 27th of January Nicole bully who's a mother of two and a uh, professional mortgage advisor I believe uh, took her dog for a walk along uh, a local sort of country area, sort of rural area, by the River Wire, and she disappeared. Uh, that sparked a huge manhunt, uh, a search uh, operation to try and locate her, uh, as well as to try and establish whether this was a missing persons investigation or whether this was the result of a crime And uh, fast forward then to the 19th of February, so three weeks later, uh, her body was uh, sadly found in the river, uh, about a mile away from where where she'd last been seen. Um, So during the course of that sort of two, three week period, there was an unbelievable level of press interest and media interest in this case and there was hardly a day that went by without uh, Nicola's face on the front pages of many national newspapers uh, across uh, news websites and featuring prominently in reporting on sort of the main media channels, BBC, ITV, etc. And it was a genuine, genuine mystery. And I think everyone, including myself, spent a great deal of time uh, thinking about it, talking about it with family and friends. Uh, Lots of people, because I'm an ex-police officer, an ex-investigator, and because I do this podcast, people were contacting me or asking me sort of locally, friends and whatever, what are you thinking? And I was (laughs) I have absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. I don't have, uh, I'm not in possession of any of the facts. I don't know anything about uh, the background or the, you know, to to the family or relationships or anything. So I would only be speculating. And I think that's really unhelpful. Um, And about two or three days before Nicola's body was found, I was contacted by uh, LBC, who asked me to come on and, and have a discussion about the case uh, on their evening sort of drive time program and I politely declined um, uh, saying that quite honestly I think quite enough has been said about uh, from uh, from armchair detectives or from retired police officers or from people who have no information whatsoever about what's been going on uh, and, and I don't think there's anything I could say that is going to in any way take the matter further forward or to shine a light on any of this stuff. So, and I'm really glad I made that decision. But as many of you will know, the uh, relationship with the, between the, between Lancashire Police and the media then became particularly strained and difficult after a press conference that they gave, about two weeks into the investigation, where um, the SIO, Detective Superintendent Rebecca Smith, was put under a great deal of pressure by the the media during that press conference because she had stated that there were a number of inadvertent commas and vulnerabilities around Nicola but didn't go into uh, any detail as to what those vulnerabilities were. Um, Then Lancashire Police clearly reflected upon that in the sort of 24, 48 hours after the press conference. And they then disclosed that Nicola had been suffering from uh, issues around alcohol abuse, um, as well as experiencing uh, some symptoms, some menopausal symptoms that had caused her some uh, significant difficulties recently. And that then, complete, everything from that moment on, went uh, really, really toxic towards Lancashire Police. And uh, there was absolute outrage across uh The political sphere. The prime minister came out. Home secretary criticized that statement. Many uh, senior female politicians uh, and ex senior female police officers came out and said that was completely unacceptable. That it had absolutely no relevance whatsoever. uh, That it was uh, stating, you know, giving details on someone's. Uh, reproductive status, and that was the expression used, uh, was crass and insensitive and completely irrelevant to the investigation. So it seemed like um, Lancashire Police, uh, you know, one moment were being incredibly coy about the level of detail that they were prepared to talk about, and then it's almost like they they went completely the other way and and um, disclosed uh, way too much information. Um, so what do I think? What do I think about about that? Well, um, I think they should have disclosed the fact that she was clearly suffering from some sort of uh, mental health issue really early in in that case um, because it would have then made it clear or at least clearer that the likelihood of this being a crime was probably significantly less than the likelihood of this being a missing persons incident that was driven by uh, some mental health struggles. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they left it so late in the day to give that information. there's stuff about menopause, in my view, completely unnecessary to go into that level of detail. It doesn't really matter why someone has got mental health issues. I think it would have been quite enough to just say, we believe, we have concerns for Nicola's well, welfare on the basis of uh, some of her recent struggles with her mental health. And uh, we would ask uh, the public to, you um, know, report any sightings of her, or of anyone who appears to be in a distressed state. Uh, and if you, I think, if they'd given that information really early in the investigation, it 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 would have prevented a lot of this um, sort of absolutely catastrophic breakdown in relationships between. Uh, Lancashire Police and the media and it also played into this narrative around uh, the police being a misogynistic organisation in spite of the fact that you had a female senior investigating officer and I also believe the head of crime at Lancashire Police is also a female officer but even in spite of that there still seemed to be this Um, willingness to jump on that statement as yet another um, example of a misogynistic culture within policing. Personally, I I don't think for a moment that that statement was motivated out of misogyny, I just think it was probably a very poorly thought through and clumsy attempt to placate the media who were clamouring for more information. There was also another really appalling example of unfair, nasty reporting um, by Amand Blatel of the Daily Mail who who criticised Rebecca Smith's dress, her hair and her high heels during that press conference and uh, said something really crass along the lines of it looked like she was uh, auditioning for love island for midlifers i mean you couldn't you literally could not have put in more misogynistic and distasteful commentary into a single paragraph than a man Amanda Platel managed to do in that article. I mean, we all know the Daily Mail is a load of bollocks and and it's full of just crap, utter crap. And it's written by people who should really know better and should go away and have a long, hard look at themselves and say, do I feel good about how I'm earning a living here? Putting out this unbelievable bollocks day after day, um, which is just designed to Make uh, elderly people angry, as far as I can see, but but really that that article by Amanda Platel really plumbed the depths, as far as I could see. But I think it's just worth just so just leaving that specific incident of the Nicola Bully case for a moment, and just sort of talk more widely about why do we think why is it that there is now such an unbelievably negative relationship between policing and particularly the print media in the uk so um for for those who are uh, a little bit younger than me and uh, and maybe aren't as aware of some of the history here it's just worth talking a little bit about the nature of the relationship between policing and the media uh, historically. So there was a time, uh, not that long ago, probably 15 years ago, let's say 15 years ago, when there was a very sort of close relationship um, when necessary, not all the time, but when necessary, there was a close relationship between crime reporters, crime correspondents and senior police officers, particularly senior investigating officers. So when you had these very high profile um, investigations that would come along, generally speaking there was a sort of a gentleman's or gentlewoman's uh, agreement that crime correspondents would be brought into, there would be an on the record and off the record briefing of those journalists who would be brought into the circle of trust around an investigation and given sort of off-the-record briefings as to what the senior investigating officer thought was going on. Um, And in parallel with that, they would then be given certain lines, certain uh, media lines that they would print And that kind of kept everyone happy because the crime correspondents felt that they were being treated with the respect that they sort of felt that they deserved, Treated as adults, grown ups um, and senior investigating officers were able to um, get the cooperation support of the press. Um, Because let's face it, we we do, whether we like it or not, whether the police like it or not, you do need the media, 100 percent. Um, but then you had the horrible uh, phone hacking scandal um, back in, I think it was 2010, 11, and um, which focused prim- primarily on News International, Rupert Murdoch's organisation, uh, where it was, you know, established that for a very long period of time, uh, media had been using private investigators to illegally hack the voicemails of f- mobile phones belonging to celebrities, as well, for that matter, as um, victims of serious crime. And I think the, the notorious one was Millie Dyler, who was murdered, I believe, by Levi Belfield. They'd been hacking her um voicemails of the of the family it was all sorts of horrific things going on that then led to numerous criminal investigations into journalists many of whom were arrested and 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 quite a few went to prison i believe Um, it was also established during that period of time that there was a unhealthily cozy relationship between certain very senior police officers in the met at sort of chief officer rank, and uh, News International, and uh, and then that led to allegations that um, perhaps the criminal investigations into the into journalists were not as robust or as thorough as they could have been, and the net result of all of that was that. Uh, the police as an organisation pulled the drawbridge up uh, in respect of their dealings with journalists generally. Uh, they never gave off-the-record briefings to them. All communications would go through corporate communications departments in policing that were very sort of um, bland uh, formulaic and um, and that led to journalists becoming very frustrated at the lack of information being given to them and gradually, gradually the relationship between journalists and the police I suppose broke down. And then we see this uh, horrible, horrible situation playing out in the Nicola Bully case, which is, you know, it's taken, like everything else in life, I always say this, don't I, everything happens for a reason, but it's true, it's taken quite a few years to get to this dreadful situation. So that's uh, that's the, uh, the media, the mainstream media sort of issue. Um, in terms of social media, well, the whole thing just became, as you know, an absolute shit show where everyone with a smartphone and an idea or an opinion or a conspiracy theory felt that they uh, were able to comment on this case. Very often, coming to all sorts of weird, fantastical, and frankly insane. Um, you know, views as to what was going on, making some terrible um, slurs against Paul, Nicola's partner, uh, speculating about the nature of their marriage. Um, I saw one particularly unpleasant Twitter post where some fucking idiot had taken a photograph from Nicola Bully's Facebook profile which had been taken i believe maybe just christmas just gone it showed her and the children dressing the christmas tree uh, an absolutely normal family photograph taken by any family at that time of the year and the person who posted that used that photograph to suggest that she was a victim of domestic abuse pointing to um what looked like a shadow on her face, and then alleging that that was bruising. It was just appalling, really, really appalling. And um, yeah, anyone anyone wants a, a really good case study uh, in the future about, you know, I do believe that academics in the future will look back at this period of human history and just think, oh my God, What were they thinking about? Um, Because I just don't think, uh, you know, there's all sorts of wider issues around social media in terms of the way it's impacting the democratic process, the way it's being abused by hostile foreign powers to sow misinformation and uh, uh, discord within democracy. It's been used to uh, harm, you know, it's harming our children's mental health. it, there's all sorts of really horrible things going on across the world driven by social media where you're giving idiots a voice that, you know the, the person who would have been the annoying bloke in the pub uh, 20 years ago who would have just been laughed at and ignored or the sort of person who you know, with tin the people with tinfoil hats on who would have wandered into police stations at three o'clock in the morning and tried to engage the poor old station officer in in listening to their latest uh, conspiracy theory about the the people next door. Um, you know, listening to them through the microwave or whatever. We now give these people smartphones and social media accounts, and. Uh, and it's really, really, really horrible. So what can we do about that? Well, individually, there's not very much we can do about it unless we just choose not to use social media and choose to ignore what's there. Um, but I definitely think that this is very much within the realms of the online harms legislation that is seems to be taking forever to get through Um, parliament. And, you know, this government, oh my God, I just can't wait to see the back of this government. They are just dreadful. Um, But they've watered it down further, haven't they, by by saying we're going to allow uh, social media to contain material which is legal but harmful. So uh, there was a time during the earlier stages of that legislation where they were talking about legislating against making making social media companies uh, civilly and criminally liable for content that was harmful as well as content that was unlawful, whereas they've now watered it down uh, to, to include only content that is unlawful, which to my mind is a massive, massive missed opportunity because this case, the Nicola Bully case showed without a doubt, how uh, urgent the need for regulation of social media is. Um, Because every half-wit individual with a personality disorder or, um, you know, even even the armchair detectives, the armchair detectives were out in their droves, weren't they? Um, And I do think a lot of this sort of very hysterical speculation about the Nicola Bully case. I I like to think of it as the sort of Netflix Netflix effect, isn't it? What we are so programmed now to find the most fantastical explanation for what is actually quite a mundane issue Um, everywhere you look. So, um, again, as you know, not only was this all being played out on social media, but it was then driving people physically to the location um, and you know, breaking into uh, buildings, trying to find her, uh, people uh, live streaming on their TikTok accounts. It was just a complete nightmare. And I can't even imagine, I mean, if anybody from Lancashire Police listening to this, you know, I really, really take my hat off to you all. I just think, yeah, yes, There's you've been through a really torrid time of it in the last few weeks, but oh, my God, um, we have seen some really, really disturbing stuff in terms of um, people interfering uh, in this investigation. So that's the, um, the what and the so what. And... I suppose the question then is uh, is now what, isn't it? So where, where does this take us? Where, what do I think needs to happen around uh, the relationships between policing and the media? I don't think there's very much we can do around social media apart from hope that uh, the legislation uh, addresses some of this stuff. Um, as well as I think there's there's probably something there about about the police organisation having to accept, like it or not, having to accept that uh, members of the public in the in in large numbers are going to be glued to social media and you know are going to be coming up with their own pet theories as to what's going on. So there's probably something there about the police needing to get the messaging right really really early um, in order to quell. Um, some of these more hysterical um, behaviours. But in terms of the relationship with the media, I do think policing needs to go back to a more, um, to draw a line in the sand maybe with the media, to go back to having a more grown-up relationship with the media that kind of acknowledges that we need the media. They also need policing in order to uh, report on issues of of, um, public interest. Um, Because if if you don't do that, then they will uh, only report the things that are um, negative in a negative way towards policing. Uh, As we've seen the last two or three years, it couldn't frankly, you know, it couldn't frankly be any worse than the reporting of policing over the last few years, and which is, which is, as I've said before on this podcast, is so self-defeating. If you want to demoralize an entire organization of tens and tens of thousands of men and women who are doing an incredibly stressful and difficult job, and here's the bit to, to protect you and your family, then why on earth would you set out to to demoralise them, either either, either consciously or unconsciously setting out to demoralise an entire profession, Um, then that's never going to end well, is it? It's not going to end well for anyone. I mean, would you, if we were just about to go to war with Russia, would you have the newspapers full of horrible attack stories about the Army, the Air Force and the Navy. No, of course you wouldn't. But the British Police Service is going out day after day confronting dangerous people trying to keep the public safe and all the media are doing is making them feel thoroughly fed up. So I do think policing needs to find a more balanced Grown up and sensible relationship with the press. Um, To go back, you know, and if that means going back to off the record briefings, treating each other as adults um, and saying, listen, we're going to bring you into the circle of trust here, but if you publish this, you will get nothing from us in the future. You won't even get a bland off the record briefing, you will get nothing and then you start from that position and and then you go forward don't you but i think to continue in this very distrustful way towards each other is is not good for either side and finally there's there's probably something there for me which is a uh, i've been this has been sort of really kind of troubling me over the last two or three weeks i've really given it a lot of thought as to what is it about these um, investigations where you have a attractive white woman who seems to generate uh, an investigation around um, in this case it was a it was a missing person's investigation but it could have been could have been something else but there is something there I think where the media, tend to almost fetishize certain investigations involving an attractive white woman. And I sort of thought to myself, would this have been the same had it been a rather plain looking um, black or Asian woman from a council estate in the inner city? I suspect almost certainly not, and was that the media are very quick to point the finger at the police and accuse them of all sorts of things, but particularly the the kind of the particular one at the moment is misogyny. There is something there for me about there is no equality in terms of the way that the media reports these types of incidents, uh, and. Without a doubt, in my mind, you know, this is my opinion. Uh, I'm free to voice it. In, there's no doubt that the media latch on to these cases where it is a uh, a very attractive white woman that they know you put a picture of that, that, that person on the front of their newspapers and it will almost certainly sell papers. And and there is, there is definitely double standards here. I'm sorry, but there is. There's no question in my mind whatsoever that had that been a uh, had it been a you know a man or it had been a a less attractive black or Asian woman, there's no way that they would have been as interested in the story. But I think uh, put, putting that aside, which is just something that I kind of just irritates me whenever I see these things because don't get me wrong and you know we obviously need to ensure that anyone who goes missing in such sort of inexplicable and mysterious circumstances um is a high priority for the police to kind of track them down and and you know the media the media should adopt exactly the same approach to anyone who goes missing um you know from any social background or any ethnicity or any gender it, it shouldn't really matter but you know it, it seems to me that that those those issues do actually impact on the level of interest of the media but i think the key thing for me really is how are nicola's children going to deal with uh, all of this stuff when they become old enough to see all of the craziness that was going on at this time when they look back at uh, you know they google their mother's name they they will they're going to find such awful stuff to have to try and process so as you know as if it's not bad enough losing your mother but to have to lose your mother and get on with the rest of your life and all of this stuff is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. And, and that's where I think, you know, again, social media companies and the mainstream media, they really need to take a long, hard look at themselves and say, right, um, this is not about making money. We should not be looking to make money on the back of a personal and family tragedy. Right, I shall leave that with you. Have a good weekend. Once we had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him, it really makes us frown. No do we feel that we're the safest street in town? Oh.